future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious co-mingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. De toekomst van bedrijven zal de combinatie van kennis, creativiteit. Hello and a warm welcome to the Future of Business podcast where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories here at the Oxford MBA, into cohort and beyond. And we look at how these people will shape the future of business. My name is Andreas Fenzel, and I will be hosting our conversation with Shulpam Sahaf. Hi Andy, how are you? I'm good. Um, I had a lot of pancakes for breakfast today, and it's an incredible uh, social thing to do after Years of living in, in lockdowns and being in home office and eating alone, it's an absolute privilege for me to have a crowded table. How about you? How are you doing? Not too bad. It's been a fantastic year already. So yeah, looking forward. I'm really excited about these episodes. Mm -hmm. Shupam is quite a character. He's given TED Talks about this. He has been advising institutes and large corporates. And he's really kind of our go-to expert on subjects matters like artificial intelligence here on campus. But before we dive into these fields, can you can you briefly say what you enjoy about Oxford the most? Well, absolutely. I mean, what I enjoy about Oxford the most is, I think, the people. Uh, while it's got great legacy, great history, great infrastructure, what I enjoy the most is that it brings all the cool people, all the intellectual people, all really, uh, diverse people together and to be able to meet all these different types of people together is just beautiful and I don't think anywhere in the world I could have done that except Oxford. I agree and our MBA program is um, astonishing in terms of how international it is. It is. I literally had people for, for breakfast from Australia, Nigeria, America and South America and then a wee little German between chugging mm -hmm. for pants. So now let's, let's dive into it. What do you think is the future of business? Well, I think it's pretty bright and I'm really excited for it because I believe that technology like AI, blockchain, uh, the metaverse, all of that is, uh, it's just a very logical extension to how uh, the mankind has progressed and it's just going to become a much more integral part of our lives. So it's really going to be exciting. So of, of all the technologies that are shaping the way that our society and our economy is, is moving forward, um, what I really admire about AI is the breadth and the, the width of its impact, that it is clearly not something that is, that is going to change the way we shop only or the way we teach kids in school, but it really can, can impact everything we do. Um, and at the same time, it's difficult for us yet to understand with which sentiment we can tackle it. So very similar to the way we started researching the genome in the last couple of years, you know, there's, there's voices that speak very critically of it, um, given our lack of understanding or not. And obviously there's many excited voices like yours in that case um, that, are, that are pushing it forward. Um, and at the same time, there really are a couple of 
quite clear ways for us to see how AI can actually benefit what we are doing. Um, and there's a number of really interesting applications in, in medical sciences, in media production, obviously in manufacturing, um, in computer sciences, where we can see where we can see AI driving us forward. Um, and a small example, for example, is the way we transcribe podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I still remember mm-hmm. sitting there for hours, typing down every single word and hating myself more than ever before. And now, you know, you press a button and it's done automatically. And it frees me up to, to spend time with my loved ones. Right. And it's not a bad thing at all. Um, but I'm sure that you're aware of much more mm-hmm. drastic <laughs> um, apply applications of, of AI. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe name us a few ways AI is transforming our lives that kind of show the power behind it? Absolutely. No, you're, ab- you're absolutely right, Andy. I mean, uh, it's not just technology for use case in industries, but it's going to uh, get deep into our lives uh, and, and showcase very significant changes in the way we lead our lives. And there are, there are very, very uh, pertaining examples. While certain examples are fairly popular, uh, things like an autonomous vehicle, uh, I love driving and I love Lewis Hamilton, but the fact is we as humans are horrible drivers and because we don't have 360 degree vision, we are horribly slow at our reaction times, we we can't predict another car coming ahead so we can't look at the map and predict that there's a car moving at 800 I mean, 80 kilometers per hour and it's going to be there in 800 seconds or whatever those things. And that's exactly why we should leave certain things, what we humans are not designed for, towards technology. And that's exactly what happened when we built the pyramids. And that's exactly what's going to happen now. And I think that's what's going to happen in the future. So examples such as autonomous vehicles, uh, the digital world, for example, the, w- the way we have looked at the social media and the one that we're going to look at metaverse it's all going to be a part of the intelligence that this technology is bringing into it. So it's not just AI, but it's the combined intelligence of these emerging technologies, which is going to change uh, our lives ahead. Okay. Um, with all admiration to this, let me be devil's advocate here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, it is clear how this can sharpen and speed up things, and at the same time scale up things. Mm-hmm. But in terms of AI being used for self-driving cars, mm-hmm. we see that there are certain situations where the data that the AI has gathered so far mm-hmm. didn't give it solutions yet, like ethical problems, or right. the, you know, there, there might be like a change in the sensors, maybe something mm-hmm. is frozen, you know, anything that, that's small that hasn't mm-hmm. been there yet. And then it turns out we humans actually quite well in finding a new potential solution to the extent that we have more than 30 seconds, which is clearly too long. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things in that we are quite good in. And at the same time, when we talk about social media, the way that's dear to me is that we have all these algorithms and artificial intelligence that help us moderate the content and that, that helps us scale up operations mm-hmm. where, you know, one person would be able to moderate, I don't know, 10 comments per hour and now they can turn back 10,000. And at the same time, we see it rapidly spiraling out of control. Right. Um, and c- can you talk a little bit about why these kind of mistakes are now still holding us back, mm-hmm. but how this will be different in the future? Absolutely. I think this is a great question because this worry, this uh, nature of being critical of these technologies and and just being dis- distancing yourself from it 
is what's holding us back from accepting it much faster, which is fairly okay because that's exactly what we've done all throughout history. But this is the logical evolution of the technology that we are building. So when we get in an algorithm to a social media software, it's very primitive in the early years, and now it's gotten very, very comprehensive. Yes, we have recognized certain uh, areas which need to be better ethically, morally, or in terms of turnaround time. Uh, and that's something that as developers, as people who work in this industry, we know that we can fix it. And that uh, kind of feedback loop that we get from the society is something that's gonna be really helpful. And I, and I think uh, being critical of new innovation is something that we've, um, and I speak about this where uh, when, when, we, when the first words were written in Mesopotamia, in the previous mankind, uh, I mean, and, and we, it's just that those, when, when the first literature was written on a piece of rock, humans were scared because they thought that they're gonna lose memory. But that's no justification to not have written language. And that's exactly why I face. I feel that even if AI has its issues, even if autonomous vehicle is not the most safest form of transportation today, if social media has its downsides, we will still make it safer and take it ahead. But it has to become an integral part of our lives because it has its own merits. Yeah, yeah. This is clearly developing at a, at a rapid speed that is more and more increasing. Mm -hmm. And it always, it already has profound impacts. And yet, right now, if I had a kid, mm -hmm. I didn't want her to hang out on a platform mm -hmm. that is formed and moderated by an AI. I didn't want her to, hang, to, to get in a car that is controlled by an AI. By an AI. And, and I also wouldn't like the idea of her, her being read to at night by Alexa, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, a thing. People say to a kid, go to bed and Alexa can read to you for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, it, and I do believe that all these things are quite possible. And what I want for you to talk about is, can you, can you help us understand like in uh, broader terms where AI is right now, like what the current state is, mm -hmm. you know, what the achievements are and also what kind of issues are, and maybe talk a little bit about what the next stepping stones for us are to tackle, to get to a point at one point where I'm like, the AI is going to take care of my kid and I feel great about it. Right. <laughs> it's a fair concern, but um, so AI is is much closer than we think it is. Uh, it's not, I mean, I, I, I've stopped talking about AI as a standalone mm -hmm. piece of technology anymore. Yeah. It's, it's something that's getting involved in absolutely everything, including your transcribing software, including the photos that we click on iPhones, to absolutely everything. And I, and I just feel that it's just become a, a very integral form of computing. So uh, to answer where we stand today with AI, it's an integral form of computing for absolutely everything. What's gonna be the next stages of AI? I think we're looking at very, very personalized form of AI going forward. Uh, in healthcare, where what will happen is, currently digital twins is going to be formed using AI. So digital twins used to be something where shop floors uh, used to be replicated on, on, a, on a software digitally and used to simulate scenarios on the software to understand what's gonna be the future scenarios. Now, there is going to be within the next three to four years, digital human twins, where your biochemical body is gonna be replicated onto a software and you can, you can simulate uh, certain healthcare or accidental scenarios 
to understand how your body will react to it. And I think that's brilliant. What we're moving towards is more personalized, super hyper personalized scenarios with AI, and that's not far away, maybe three to five years. And um, yeah, I, it's going to be a, it's going to be an amalgamation of a lot of technologies within the next ten years, including uh, the digital. Uh, the metaverse, the AI, the blockchain, the IoT, all of that going to come together very, very thick and strong. And it's going to be very different um, in the next 10 years. Fedeth, you mentioned a, a really concrete difference from like a, a broad global AI to a personalized AI. Mm -hmm. And I tend to agree, and I hate to say that, that if that was the case, I would indeed feel much better about a, a, my car being self-driven or mm -hmm or the way I interact with my friends online and if I was, if I was known that this is specific to me and it also at least gives me the feeling that I have greater control over it, even mm -hmm. though that's probably not the case. And But I, what I wonder about is, the one thing that we at the moment criticize of AI is that given the nature of machine learning, it needs to see the data, to find the patterns, to be able to apply it to specific situations and to achieve this degree of personalization, we would need to get away from a, a causal loop where the AI mm -hmm. has to see it once and then mm -hmm. and then be able to do it. Can you explain how this could work? Yeah. Now, so I think this, this nature of the algorithms of machine learning is both a pro and a con. Mm -hmm. the, the, the advantage is that, uh, that we already have algorithms like GPT-3, uh, we already have enough data. I mean, you'd be shocked to know that what you consider data, there is more data than that. I mean, we produce more information than we think that we do. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that what what humans what humans would capture is far lesser than what a machine like an ML or an AI system would. So, there is more data for the systems to consume than we we can think of. But the the other bit to it is because we know that they need this primary form of data to process and then learn. That's exactly why I, I feel that we also have safety mechanisms within these algorithms to protect it from something going wrong. So when the Facebook uh, uh, algorithm started chatting between itself, we could pull the plug. That's because we knew that if we stop giving the data, we're pulling the plug. So I think it has its own advantages and disadvantages in how it functions. There is enough data, but we also know how to create a safety plug in the system. Will it remain the fact, uh, will, will the fact remain that the basis for any AI to work is access to huge amounts of data that at the same time leads to this power struggle of whoever gets to collect and process this data is the one who will be able to apply AI. I mean we already see it now with an, on a very on a very small scale of advertisement and all that people, mm -hmm. you know, move away from third-party data to first-party data, and we already see like that the struggle really is who gets data. And obviously, once we talk about stuff like healthcare, mm -hmm. this gets much more interesting. Right. So, is this gonna be the battleground yeah. on which this is gonna be fought for the next couple of years? Yes, and I think it's twofold. One is the global AI, which is more generic, and the other is the personalized AI. The global AI, yes. It is data intensive, and uh, I don't think you and I can do much about it because by simply being in the world and being active on the internet, we are shelling out enough information yeah. for it to work. But the personalized AI, which is 
super hyper personalized, which is I know about what coffee you have in the morning, uh, what pancake you like, Andy, or 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 what uh, what's your healthcare pattern like, what's your lifestyle like. All of those things will become uh, will become a battle because your financial data, your healthcare data, your lifestyle data, your wellness data, all of those things, your mental wellness is all. I hope along with the regulation that's moving with the GDPR HIPAA guidelines, will become very, very uh, protected and will remain with only the agencies that you allow it to be used for. Okay, let, let me delve into this. On the one hand, you talked about GDPR, mm-hmm. and I'm from Europe, and mm-hmm. I could say that I'm proud that we have the most progressive <laughs> consumer data protection regulation in place. At the same time, we literally didn't manage to get COVID apps going for like a mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. because they, they refuse to save our email addresses. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm sorry, this is like a public health crisis, right. and that's what holding us back. But the question I want to ask is, so I, I kind of see three three solutions here. Mm-hmm. So the, the question seems to be, who's got this large amount of data on us and everything? And just on top of my mind, I, I kind of see three scenarios, and, and I, would, I would like you to tell me what's mm-hmm. the most likely one. One is somehow technology finds a way that mm-hmm. a large amount of the data kind of stays with me and I get to decide what's happening, mm-hmm. like in a wallet of some sort. <laughs> the second is that there's some sort of central commercial entities that control other data, be it Apple, Google, or other companies. Mm-hmm. And the third one is that there's actually some sort of decentral, blockchain-enabled, whatever mm-hmm. way, you know, where data is more or less evenly spread and everybody mm-hmm. has access to it. Maybe it's depersonalized, maybe it's anonymous, you know. Mm-hmm. But the big question is, is that, you know, am, am I in control first? Mm-hmm. B, is there a few gatekeepers that mm-hmm. are incredibly powerful and are absolutely unable to control by anybody, including governments? Mm-hmm. Or third, is it possible to have some sort of open sea data, lake pool? I'm throwing a word that don't make sense, but is there like a decentral, equal access way to this data? So, so what kind of answer are you looking for? Are you looking for an answer that you desire or the answer that's the reality? <laughs> huh? I personally would like the the first better, but I'm pretty sure that most people are looking for what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, so I think while we all hope that we are in control of our data, which is the first scenario that you're saying, or the third, which is the decentralized, uh, anonymized data, I think the most likely outcome would be the second scenario, yeah. which is uh, we will end up choosing and giving permissions to one or maybe multiple corporations to use the data in particular formats. And that's the reason why I say that is because that train has already been set. We can see that motion already, where uh, between the Google and the Apple fight, Apple has been able to secure our data better than Google, and people are comfortable with that, but they're also using that data very, very effectively in ways that we have become used to it. I mean, the Photos app is something that's, you can just simply tap on someone's face and you can show all the photos of your friend, no. stuff like that. So what I'm saying is, it's going to be concentrated with corporations. And the reason for that is convenience. Even if yeah. even if they opened it up for us to use it personally, it's gonna be, maybe I'm okay with it, maybe you're okay with it, but there's a whole section of the society which will find it burdensome. So, and they won't be able to utilize it in the best fashion and they will end up not enjoying the benefits of AI positive systems. And then we would have to see whether or not 
That's Everybody right. excluded of fundamental exactly. things happening. Exactly. While now people in Germany get access to stores if they can show the code pass on their phone. And if they ain't got a phone, they can't go inside. And we can, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. we, we, no, we talked about finance and healthcare and all. Mm -hmm. and it clearly gets more complicated. Um, while this is a very interesting and dark point, mm -hmm. um, I don't want to stay on this, mm -hmm. on this critical and mm -hmm. scary notion of AI. So let's kind of zoom out a little bit and envision envision how our society, mm -hmm. modern our economy, could look like once AI has been applied, you know, in, in a in a good and responsible way, mm -hmm. in in a bright, good future. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about because I know you think about this, like what an AI can actually enable us to do in the future? A lot. Um, I think the most fundamental concept that AI and I dislike speaking about AI as a standalone AI and the other emerging technologies yeah. together will do is lead to more connectedness between humans we have always wanted that uh, historically and we will always want that in the future every piece of tool that we've built in the past towards every piece of technology that we're building today is to connect us more may it be uh, a telegram in the past, a telephone in the past, a fax machine, internet, social media, or metaverse. All that we're trying to do with everything being there is we're trying to be connected more. So what will be the, the beauty of all of this technology, including AI and the other emerging tech, is that we will not be this dispersed. As humanity, we will come much closer. We will be more connected. We will be more involved. and distance, physical distance, uh, would be a thing of the past. Um, talking about physical things, I have so many questions that we're not going to get into now. Um, but that probably also means that a lot of the, the tasks, the modern tasks we're doing, are mm -hmm. not going to be part anymore. That probably means that the, the way and the level of communication and building connections is going to increase rapidly. Um, it probably means that stuff is made worse that the time zones and, and distances are gonna, are gonna melt down. Mm -hmm. um, where do you think, and I hope there's a brief answer to this, where do you think <laughs> big changes are gonna be visible next? Like in which areas of our life do you think we, we first gonna realize, oh, here are the impacts of AI? I think health tech is one big area. We have already seen a lot of AI movement in social media and media, which has been the biggest uh, adopters of AI. Health tech is next. Uh, okay. fin FinTech has already taken it up. But okay, let's let's talk mm. with health tech. Yeah. Um, because I do agree. I think that, that clearly is an area where it's much for us to do. And I personally believe that the way the pandemic forced us mm -hmm. to digitalize stuff mm -hmm. will, will help us tremendously and adapting the next step behind this. And there clearly is many things to do, from virtual visits to the doctor, to data sharing, to AI diagnosis, to mm -hmm. drug development, um, to better supply chains. There's a lot of stuff happening. Right. Um, and, and clearly we benefit from the personalization of um, drug treatments and stuff like this. Um, many of the people listening to our podcast, you know, are looking at an MBA and a transformational moment in their lives maybe want to make a career turn and clearly this is a very important growing area and Shupam how can I get into this well there are a lot of ways and I think 
uh, it depends on what the ultimate outcome is, whether and and specifically for business oriented people, people who who are doing the MBA or or business oriented courses, uh, it's I think it's very important to have this flavor of technology in the language that you speak, in the thought that you have, because as leaders, as when you make business decisions, it's important to know that it's not an isolated standalone thing that you do. It has to be coupled in with technology. So what one can do is that uh, make sure that one's reading enough books or articles or courses, uh, even Coursera nano degrees, EDX nano degrees, are really good for somebody who wants to get deep into AI, uh, deep into even understanding the coding and algorithms behind it. But if you just want to get a flavor of uh, how to integrate technology into business, uh, what I have observed is talking to people really helps. You know, uh, just uh, in your own field, in the industry that you are, uh, reach out to somebody who's just technically there. I mean, while making business decisions. And even one hour of conversation with them uh, over a coffee can actually give you perspective on why and how the technology is making impact in that industry, which may not happen purely from an article or a book. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's uh, the perfect answer for me, really, <laughs> um, because I feel like it's, it's these kind of connections that bring my experience here to life. Mm -hmm. um, and can you maybe, as a, as a closing argument, kind of just briefly mention how the Oxford MBA fits into your own journey here? Well, uh, I think, as I mentioned, the people, right? So the way, the reason why I am here at Oxford is because not only does it let me meet brilliant friends at the MBA uh, who've had some really diverse experiences which I can learn from, I can also network with PhD scientists, uh, researchers, in the extended Oxford environment, which is I've met people from the Google Society, the Oxford AI Society, uh, meeting neuroscientists in my college formals, uh, and all of those things. I mean, that interaction, being at a pub, talking to a PhD in musicology, which I would have never done at a different B school. Yeah. So my intention is of being at the Oxford MBA is to uh, you know expand my horizons, learn more about different fields, because the technology that I build, I want it to be useful for a larger section of the society, and that can only happen when I have the perspective of what's happening in the different fields. And, and Oxford MBA fits perfectly in that. Nice. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Shupam. Thanks for, for coming down and, and chatting with me. And thank you guys for listening. Dial in again for the next episode of the Future of Business podcast. I'm Andreas, and take care.